Lord, give me life. I know the life you have for me is abundant, full of good things. God, all I want is you. Pour into my heart until you begin to overflow. Teach me what it means to live the blessed life. Well, welcome this weekend. How many of you are glad to be here? That's awesome. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from an off-site campus or maybe on the internet or at uh, one of the venues here at Long Point. Uh, we're glad that you are along for the ride. Uh, this is going to be a great weekend, I tell you. I, um, it's my privilege to be able to introduce to you uh, one of my friends. Uh, met Robert Morris uh, just about three or four years ago. Uh, through some other folks that we are mutually kind of acquainted with. And have you know when there are some people that you meet that you just you just connect with? You, you know anybody like that? And, and some people that you don't connect with. You know anybody like that? Okay, don't point, but you do know some people like that. Well, Robert was one of the former. I, I, um, this is a guy that loves God without pretense. He's one of my kind of guys. Uh, Robert... Uh, pastors, one of the largest, one of the five or six largest churches in America, Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas. God is doing some incredible things, not only there, but through them. They are leaders in uh, worship all around the world. And, and Robert has uh, just uh, a dynamic word that uh, he speaks, many dynamic words. But the, probably uh, the reason I invited him to be here is uh, he has written a book called The Blessed Life, which is... Uh, kind of in the last 20 years, I think is the most significant book that's been written uh, as it relates to uh, learning to love a generous God and allowing God to be generous uh, through us. And so I was excited when just a few months ago I asked Robert, Robert, would you come and speak to us at Seacoast Church? And he agreed that he would. And uh, so I would like for you to give a great big welcome to Robert Morris as he comes and shares God's Word with us. Can you do that? Thank you. Thank you. I am so, I am so happy to be at Seacoast Church because we have heard about you guys. Good things. All good things. And, uh, it was the same when I met Greg. Uh, I just fell in love with him. And, uh, I, I know you know this, but let me, I'm going to say it anyway, all right? Because t- I, I've, I've been in a lot of churches. I travel quite a bit. Even though I pastor a church, I speak in a lot of churches. So I want to say this, um, I know you know it, but um, you are incredibly blessed to have Pastor Greg as your pastor. I mean, you, you are so blessed, so blessed. Um, this is a, a, every person knows him as a man of integrity, a man of humility, a man of character, a man who loves God, loves the kingdom, everyone. He has an incredible reputation in the body of Christ. And uh, I know that it's all because of Debbie. I know that. So (laughs) let's give credit where credit is due, okay? So, okay, I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, all right? Luke chapter 9, and um, we are going to talk. You'll have uh, notes as well that you can look at in your bulletin or whatever you call that thing. So 
but uh, Luke chapter 9, and we're going to look at uh, one of the most famous stories in the Bible, and to begin this series, The Blessed Life, we're going to talk about, here's the title of the message, The Principles of Multiplication. The Principles of Multiplication. Now, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. Um, I hear numbers, and I think numbers. Uh, my father is a, a, a mathematical genius. Now, I'm not a genius, but I get numbers. The numbers come to me very quickly. I can add up numbers. I, I think in numbers. My wife knows <clears throat> that I think in numbers. Some of you ladies are married to someone like this. Some of you men are married to someone like this. My wife knows if she is going to talk about something, I have to have the number first. <laughs> I can't hear anything until I hear the number. If she says, you know, I want to remodel this part of the house, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. It is like Charlie Brown's parents talking. Uh, it sounds like what, 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 $4,000. I mean, I, okay, I heard that. I, I heard $4,000, okay. Uh, so I, I, I think that way. Think about this. Multiplication is a mathematical term. And when we talk about our resources, now I'm talking about not just our resources for us, but for the kingdom. Wouldn't it be great if God multiplied our resources? It's a, a multiplication. I see all of us have probably seen addition in our finances. We've probably, at some point or another, we've probably seen subtraction. We've seen division. <laughs> but would it be all right with you to see multiplication? Our God is a God of multiplication. And again, we have to understand that it all comes down to our heart. And if we will allow God to do work in our hearts, God can entrust us then with resources to build His kingdom and that will be a blessing to our family as well. So Luke chapter 9, it's the feed, what we call the feeding of the 5,000. I'll talk to you in a moment that that's really kind of a, a misnomer uh, and I'll show you why that is. But Luke chapter 9, look at verse 12. It says, when the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, well, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. Now, let me just stop just for a moment. And explain something to you about Jewish culture. In Jewish culture, the, the way they counted crowds was not the, the charismatic way to count crowds. Uh, the charismatic way is we count everybody. Babies, uh, everybody. Every, uh, pregnant women twice, we count everybody. Uh, we count the people that tell us, Pastor, I won't be there this weekend, but I'll be there in spirit. We count spirits. We count everybody. We, okay. And that's how we get our number of the attendant. All right. But in Jewish culture, they counted families. They said, when it says there were about 5,000 men, as a matter of fact, when you read this in Matthew 14, uh, the same story, verse 21 says there were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So there were 5,000 families. Here's the reason I say this. Most theologians believe that there were anywhere from 15 to 20 or 25,000 people, depending on how many children they had. And many Jewish families had a lot of children at this time. We know that from history. So the reason I'm telling you this is uh, it makes it a, a larger miracle than maybe what you thought. He fed 5,000 families with five loaves and two fish. Uh, and also most theologians believe that this is the largest crowd Jesus ever spoke to. 
So I want you to think about that, all right? So let's go back. Verse 14. There were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. And then he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled. And 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. Now, again, remember, numbers jump off page 12. Uh, baskets left over. And I thought to myself, well, why? You know, why? Why, why were they even leftovers, you know? And uh, it's just my personal opinion. I think that Jesus wanted each disciple to have a doggy bag. I mean, it's just my personal opinion. Okay? <laughs> but, all right, here's what I like to do with the Bible, all right? I like to put myself in the story. And I like to imagine how I would have reacted had I been there that day. How would I have responded? So I want you to do that this weekend, all right? I want you to pretend like that you are one of the 12. You are on the Messiah Search Committee, uh, and you've got a great candidate. I mean, he's great. He's healing people. He's raising people from the dead. He's walking on water. And so you have a high attendance weekend, and you uh, send out a mass email, and you tweet about it, and, and you have the largest crowd you've ever had, and uh, you have great worship you know, like we did today, and then the guest uh, speaker gets up to speak, and uh, uh, he's supposed to go about 30, 35 minutes, and uh, he goes an hour, and then he goes two hours, and then he goes three hours, you know, 12 noon, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. I mean, you've, you've already missed the first game. <laughs> 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. I'm not exaggerating this text. Look at verse 12. It says, when the day began to wear away. You know what that means in the Greek? In the Greek that means when the day began to wear away. (laughs) It's getting late. And so, again, I'm just using my holy imagination. I want to ask you, use your holy imagination there, right? I feel like that the disciples formed a little committee. I think they kind of pulled over to the side and they said, man, what are we going to do? I mean, this guy's good, but nobody's this good. I mean, he just goes on and on and on. And, and, and I'm about to starve to death. If I don't eat soon, I'm going to die. I will die right here in front of you guys. And I think one of them said, that's it. And he said, what, what's it? Let's tell Jesus that the people are getting hungry. He seems to care a lot about the people. He doesn't seem to care much about us, but he does seem to care a lot about people. So now let's pretend that you get elected a spokesperson. So I want you to see this in your mind. Jesus is there speaking. He had a podium just like that. If you go to the Greek, you'll see that right. Okay. So he's got him a podium and there's a great big crowd and you walk up to Jesus while he's speaking. That is the inference from scripture that he was speaking when they walked up to him and said this to him. Okay. So see it in your mind. You walk up and you say, um, Lord, excuse me, excuse me. Um, this has been so good. I tell you, Lord, this has really been good. Um, <clears throat> this, uh, this series of messages that you're bringing all in one day. Um, but, um, we, we feel like that the people are getting hungry. Now we could go all night. I tell you, Lord, it's been that good. Um, but, um, and so uh, it's, it's getting late and, and the, the restaurants are about to close and, and we feel like that you should just, you know, kind of, you know, wrap it up and, uh, and, and dismiss the service. 
So Jesus says, you, you're, you're concerned about the people. Yes, Lord, it's, it's all about the people. It's all about the people. And then maybe you've never seen this before. I want you to put yourself in this position. Verse 13, but he said to them, well, then you give them something to eat. Excuse me. Yeah, you and your little group over there, you're concerned about the people. Why don't you give them something to eat? Okay. It didn't go like you planned, did it? So now you've got to report back to the committee. That's the hard part, you know. So you go back over and they say, well, did you tell them the people were hungry? Yes, I told them that. I said those words exactly. I said the people are hungry. Well, is he going to dismiss the service? Well, what did he say? Good for us to give him something to eat. <laughs> what? He said for us to give him something to eat. What? The 20,000 people here over. And then there's some little kid that snuck back in town while Jesus was speaking. And he's walking by and he's got a long John Silver sack, you know. So he grabbed the sack. And then, they, you know, he opened it up. He got the two-piece meal with extra rolls. And, of course, Peter probably just grabbed one. Stop it, Peter. Stop it. That's all we have. And one of them said, that's it. What's it? This is all we have. Let's tell Jesus this is all we have. And he'll dismiss the service. Now, I want you to think about it for a moment. Pretend you've never read this story before. Doesn't that make sense to you? If you said this is all you have, wouldn't you think he'd say, okay, we need to dismiss then. Okay, so you, again... um, Um, you know, a, a, a moment ago, um, you know, I was telling you about the people and, um, being hungry and, uh, you said, you know, for, you know, us to, uh, you know, give them something to eat and, uh, we, we've been working on that. Uh, but, um, all, all we have is, um, uh, five, um, well, almost five. Peter ate some and I, I, uh, uh, uh about five rolls and, uh, uh, two, uh, two, uh, pieces of fish. That's all we have, Lord. So we're thinking we should go with the original idea and, and wrap it up. <laughs> and the Lord says, okay, you have uh, two pieces of fish and almost five. I, I know how Peter is uh, rolls, right? Yes, uh, Lord, that's, that's, that's all we have. And then let's, okay, yeah, that'll be fine. Have them sit down in groups of 50. Excuse me? Uh we, we don't have a, a lot of these snack packs, Lord. Um, we, um, there was a kid. Peter took it from him. I didn't take it from him, Lord. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fine. Okay, now have you ever thought about this? Getting people to sit down in groups of 50? 20,000 people? I, I, I don't know about you, but have you ever worked with people? I mean, people are hard to work with, aren't they? And so you're saying, could you sit down, please, and in groups of 50, could you sit down, please? And you got some guy in front of him saying, you're going to give us something to eat? <laughs> Same one them rolls, Pete. Uh, okay, you just sit down. All right, you get them all set down. Now, during this process, my, I'm just using holy imagination again. I think the disciples figured it out. I think one of them said, hey, hey, you, and they're thinking, you know, we're, we're in trouble. We're, we're dead. Just, just wait till the first church of the Pharisees hears about this. You know, that's what they're thinking. And then one of them said, hey, hey, you remember that story in the Bible where Elisha fed 100 men with 12 loaves of bread? You remember that? They said, yeah. They said, we got someone greater than Elisha here. I'll bet you when he prays over it, it's going to multiply. And they probably said, yeah, 
I bet that's right. And I'll bet again, Peter probably, you know, Peter probably grabbed. Now, now let me just say this. I know I pick on Peter a lot. I know that. Um, but it's because I relate to Peter because to me, Peter was always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. I, I, have you ever noticed that? The Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> Jesus is transfigured before them. Moses and Elijah show up and they're talking with Jesus and Peter says, it's a good thing I'm here. It didn't matter that Peter was there. <laughs> and, then, and then the Bible says, while he was still speaking, a voice from heaven. Listen, you know you're talking too much when God has to interrupt you. <laughs> so there are just lots of things. You know, Jesus comes walking on the water. Don't be afraid. It is I. Peter says, Lord, if it's you. <laughs> Jesus thinking, I, I, I said, I said, you know. And then even when he gets the right answer, I think Jesus' response is hilarious. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? The disciples say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. This is what he said. This is a miracle that you got the right answer, Peter. That's a miracle. That's, that's a miracle. Okay, all right. So, okay. I know I'm going to get to heaven one day. Peter's going to say, why did you talk about me like, okay. So, so I think Peter probably, you know, grabbed a roll and said, here, here, pray over mine first. Here, pray over mine. Pray, pray. Watch, just watch. They expected it to multiply when he prayed over it. Now, listen to me. That's what many of us believe happened. That's not what happened. If you look at verse 16, it says he blessed them and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set for the multitude. Here's what happens. Jesus takes this roll from Peter, lifts it up and says, Father, bless it breaks it and hands half of it back to Peter. Uh, are you through praying? <laughs> yeah, Peter, it's blessed. Now go give it out. You want to pray some more? <laughs> no, Peter. And listen to this. It's blessed. Now go give it away. It's blessed. Give it away. It has the potential to multiply if you'll give it. This is amazing truth from Scripture. But personally, I don't think Peter understood. I think Peter walked up to the first person and said something like this. Take just a little piece. <laughs> what would you have said? Take a little piece, a little piece. I said, a little piece, you pig. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Take a little piece, a little piece. He gets down to the end of the row. There is a crumb left in his hand, sweat pouring down his brow. And he looks down, and right before the guy goes to grab it, it grows in Peter's hands. Listen to me. The miracle did not happen in the master's hands. It happened in the disciples' hands when they obeyed the Master. So let me give you the two principles of multiplication. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. If you're not taking notes, write these down, all right? Here's number one. <laughs> it has to be blessed before it can multiply. It has to be blessed before it can multiply. Now think about this. What if the disciples had given the fish and the loaves away before Jesus blessed it? 
would it ever have multiplied? No. It was the blessing of Jesus that caused it to multiply. I know a lot of people, and listen to me carefully, I know a lot of people that give a little here and give a little there, but they don't give the first 10% of their income to the church. And they think, well, that's Old Testament, it's under the law. They have all these excuses and reasons for it. But it's crazy to me. And when you really study about giving the first to God, and I'm going to talk about that in another message, when you talk about it and study it, you understand that when you give the first to God, the rest is blessed. And even the New Testament talks about tithing. And so many people, I've heard people, I've had people, I just had someone tell me two weeks ago, well, you know, nothing in the New Testament about tithing. I said, have you read the New Testament? Jesus himself said you ought to tithe. Jesus said that. Matthew 23, 23, he said to them, you tithe of all the little spices, but you neglect justice, mercy, and faith. And then listen to what he says. This you ought to do without leaving the other undone. That, listen, that's the guy that saved me. That's my Lord and Savior. That verse right there would cause me to tithe. Just that one verse where if Jesus says you ought to do it, that's enough for me. He didn't say it's passed away. You don't, never, you don't need to do that anymore. You need to focus on this. He didn't say it's Old Testament. You know, we change between Old and New Testament. You know, we were mean in the old. We're, we're nice in the new. Law in the old, grace in the new. He didn't say any of that. He said this you ought to do. But don't leave the other undone. It's amazing. And then Hebrews 7 says this. It, this is incredible to me. It says that when we tithe, listen, Jesus himself receives our tithes and blesses them. It's amazing. The, the, Malachi tells us this way. If you'll tithe, he, he said, you're robbing me. Do you realize, according to the Bible, there are only two things you can do with a tithe. You can either bring it to the house of God or you can steal it. That's the only two things. The, and the word, God always uses the word bring. And it's always to the house of God. It's not to a Christian university, not to a Christian school, not to a TV ministry. It's to the house of God. Always, always in Scripture. And he says you can bring it. And he never uses the word give when he talks about tithing because you can't give what doesn't belong to you. You can only bring it. And you can only bring, this is only two things that every person here can do. You can only, according to Scripture, you with the tithe, the first 10% of your income, you have two choices. You can bring it to the house of God or you can steal it. Those are your two choices. God says it. And he says it in Malachi. And we say, well, it's Old Testament. But here's what he says right before that. He says, I am the Lord. I do not change. I don't change. And he said, you're robbing me. I said, how are we robbing you? He said, the tithe, you don't bring it in the house. And he says, you're under a curse. You need to understand, God's not cursing you. We live in a cursed world. And what God is saying is, I would love to redeem your finances out from under the curse. But the way I redeem them, according to Scripture, and I can show it to you all through Scripture, which will be the other message I share, I can show this to you. God says, you give me the first, I'll redeem the rest. Give me the first. So, and then he says, and if you'll do this, if you'll do this, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing on you, there will not be room enough to receive it. And, and my wife and I have experienced that. And then he says this, and, and, it's kind of like, if you call right now, <laughs> and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. That's incredible. Listen, just from a business standpoint, for 10%, that's a good deal. <laughs> To have God bless you and God stand at the door of your house and rebuke Satan. And I'm all for spiritual warfare. But listen, I'm all for spiritual warfare, but you can stand in a room and yell at the devil all day. And if you're not a tither, you're not rebuking him. It would be a whole lot better for God to rebuke him. And here's what people say to me. It's amazing. Tithers and non-tithers all give the same testimony. All of them. I've been in ministry 30 years. 
They all give the same testimony. Tithers say, I'm so blessed. I am so blessed. I'd never go back to not tithing. Non-tithers all give the same testimony. I can't afford to tithe. Every one of them, I can't afford to tithe. That doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that one out. You know why? Because you're under a curse. Every time you start to get ahead, something else will break and you'll lose more money. Every time. You're under a curse. And God doesn't want you under the curse. He wants you under the blessing. He wants you to live a blessed life. And that's not just in the area of finances. It's in your health, your marriage, your family, your relationships, your relationship with God, everything. He wants to pour blessing out on you. This is not the prosperity teaching. This is the scriptural teaching that God would like to bless you so you could be a blessing. I've told our whole church on several occasions, you tithe, and if you are not fully satisfied after one year, I'll give you your money back. Never had one come and ask for the money back. I'm telling you at Seacoast, you tithe, and after one year, if you're not fully satisfied, Pastor Greg will give you your money back. (laughs) Hey, I'm just here for a little while, you know, and it's okay. All right. Okay, number one, it has to be blessed before it can multiply. And the only way it's blessed is you give the first 10% to God. Number two, it has to be given away before it can multiply. It has to be given away before it can multiply. Uh, Now, I got saved out of a pretty bad life, a very bad life, very, very bad life. And um, I went to church, and they were preaching on tithing. When I got saved, Debbie and I were already married, and we were making $600 a month combined income. And let me tell you the truth. She was making 400 I was making 200 a month. So let me, let me just let you all know, it's just so you know, without God, you are looking at a guy who has the ability to make $200 a month. I can make 200 a month. <laughs> so we get saved, go to church, and the, you know what I hear? Here's the message. Give 10% of your income to God. Here's the great thing. I was too stupid to argue with the Bible. And it's amazing to me how many people are smart enough to argue with the Bible. And by the way, how's it working out for you? Why would you do that? Why would you argue with God blessing you? So I hear this message. I give $60. We make 600 I give 60 That's on a Sunday. The next day, my boss calls me in, and he says to me, I am going to double your income. Instead of 200 you're going to make 400 I'm going to give you a $200 a month raise. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, and I have no idea why I am doing this. <laughs> It, it, wasn't, it wasn't that I had earned it. It was just God saying to me, do it my way. So then I, I, I feel like, you know, I need, I need to preach. God's calling me to preach. I go to Bible college, and I start doing youth revivals and youth meetings and things like this. And then a few years later, God said to me, uh, I need you to get your finances in order so I can bless them. Now, now I want you to hear that statement because I need you to understand. God can't bless something that's not in order. He can't. And there are scriptural principles about how to handle your finances. So I said, well, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, number one, get out of debt. I said, okay. So we started selling things, paying things off. We made a commitment not to do any luxury until we were out of debt. It took several years. We didn't go to the movies. We didn't go out to eat. We put everything toward the debt. We got serious about it. I so, we sold this car we had that I had a big payment on it, and I bought a car for $750 cash. That's all the money I had to buy a car. But we loved that car. We really did. We, because we knew we were getting our finances in order. And we had such a great feeling. It's such a peaceful feeling to know your finances are coming into order. And uh, we prayed over that car. Uh, we anointed it with oil about a quarter week. And, uh, and we drove that car. 
second thing the Lord said to me was, don't manipulate. Please hear me. God never blesses manipulation. Manipulation is witchcraft, according to Scripture. And uh, I was now traveling and speaking. And I said, well, Lord, what do you mean don't manipulate? He said, I want you to never, ever, ever uh, ask for money for yourself. Never, ever, ever. And I want you to learn how to trust me. And so he said, when people, pastors would call and say, can you come speak? Now I'm a pastor, but back then that was my, that, that was my income. And when pastors would say, what's your uh, financial requirements? I would say, uh, well, uh, pay our expenses and give us an offering. And uh, I said, well, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, from now on, you say, I have no financial requirements. And I said, okay. So a pastor called right after that. He said, uh, would you come? I said, yes, we worked the day out. He said, what are your financial requirements? I said, I have no financial requirements. He said, uh, what, what do you mean you have n- uh, no financial requirements? I said, I mean, I have no financial requirements. He said, what do you mean, what do you, mean you have no <laughs> And he couldn't get it. And so he said to me, how do you live? How do you live? How are you going to live? He said, if you come to our church and preach and we don't give you an offering, how are you going to live? And I said something, and I meant it right, but it came out wrong. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. I said, listen, if I come to your church and preach and you don't give me an offering, God will take care of me and God will take care of you. He said, well, we'll give you an offering. I said, no, no, I I didn't mean that. I, I didn't mean that. I meant God will provide for me and he'll provide for you. God provides, you know. So the Lord said, get out of debt. Don't manipulate. And number three, he said, give. I said, well, uh, Lord, um, now I want you to hear this. I said, Lord, um, I do give. I tithe. He said, uh, son, giving, tithing is not giving. Tithing is returning. He said, the tithe belongs to me. You either bring it to God's house or you steal it. What's well, your only choice? But it belongs to me. You're just returning it. He said, giving is when you give over and above. Now, remember the two principles. It has to be blessed before it can multiply. We have to tithe and it has to be given away. We give away over and above. See, what if the disciples had just eaten it after Jesus had blessed it? It never would multiply. And I know people who tithe but never give. And please understand, that's when it multiplies because it's already blessed. It has the potential to bless if you're tithing. And so I said, well, Lord, it's a very, this is, I asked very good questions. I said, Lord, how will I know when to give, where to give, and what to give? How will I know that? Now listen to his answer. It, this is such a cool answer. He said, I'll tell you. My sheep hear my voice. He said, I'll tell you. So I said, okay. So the next week, I go to church to preach. It's a Sunday night meeting only. It's not a week-long revival thing. And it's in a church of about 60 people. And it's the only meeting I have for the whole month. I have no other meeting for the whole month. Normally, I preach every week. And I said, I have no financial requirements. At the end, the pastor got up and said, let me tell you what he told me. He said, no minister's ever told me this. He said, I want, I want you to know that. And I want us to give him an offering. And so he comes to me afterwards, and he said, look at this. He shows me the check. He's so excited. It's wonderful to meet pastors who are givers, because many are not. Your pastor is. Many are not. He said, look, look, look. He said, we've never done this before. Look, look at the size of this offering. And I looked at it, and it was enough for the whole month. Now, you have to understand, too, that it wasn't just me. I had a staff at that time, and sometimes we would do crusades and rallies and things. We had a staff and an office, so it was enough for the whole month for all of the ministry. And I thought, Lord, you are so good. You're so good. And I glanced over the shoulder of this pastor, and there was a missionary standing at the back of the sanctuary that had spoken right before I spoke. And this voice said to me, give him the offering. And I remember exactly what I thought. Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) That's not God. That's not God. I'll tell you that. That's not God. 
And I even told the Lord, that's not you. In case you don't know, that's not you. And the voice said, give him the offering. Give him the offering. And I remember telling the Lord, you've probably done this. You, God's done things like this to you. I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, you're not thinking clearly. You, you got all pumped up by the sermon or something, you know. And this is, you know. And the Lord said, here's what he said. I told you I'd tell you. I told you I'd tell you when, where, and how much. I'm telling you to give him the offering now. So I waited until everyone had left. I mean, I'm, I didn't want anyone in the building. I didn't want anyone to see what I was doing. And I endorsed the check, and I walked to the back. The first, last person walked out, and he was standing there. And I said, hey, I'm Georgia Sharon. I said, I'm going to give you something on two conditions. Number one, you don't look at it until after you've driven away from here. I don't want you. Because I, it was extremely large. Extremely. I said, number two, you never tell anyone that I did this. Never. And so he left, and then we walked outside, my wife and I, and some people from the church were standing around talking. They said, hey, we're going to go get some pizza. Do you all want to go? And we said, yeah, you know, because we were broke, you know. So we said, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So we went, and there were six couples total, okay, five couples from the church, and my wife and I, a church of about 60 people. And, and so the guy sat on one end of the table, the six ladies on the other end of the table. My wife was at the end. I was at this end. And so uh, all of a sudden, these four guys started talking. They just got to talking about something. And the guy across from me leans over the table like this. And you know, so I kind of lean over. I don't know what he's going to say, you know. And all of a sudden, he said to me, how much was the love offering? And, and so I told him. And you've got to remember now, it was an offering, not an honorarium. An honorarium has zeros at the end. It's a round amount. $500 or $1,000 or $200 or something like that. But, a, a, but an uh, offering has dollars and cents because everyone is given, you know. So, and so I told him the amount. And then he said to me, where's the check? Like that. And I didn't, I know you're supposed to tell the truth. I understand that. But I didn't want to say, I gave it to a missionary. You know, I didn't want to brag. And I didn't know what to say. And I was, I'm flustered. I'm thinking, who is this guy? Why is he asking me these questions? And I just all of a sudden heard myself say, my wife's name is Debbie also. I just heard myself, myself say, Debbie has it. <laughs> and so he said to me, go get it. I want to see it. So I said, okay. So I went down to where my wife was eating pizza, and I bent down, and I said to her, how's your pizza? Good. Okay, good. Okay. There's nothing else to say. You know, there's no check. So I come back, and I know you're supposed to, but I didn't want to, and I'm flustered. I don't know why is he saying this. And so I said, it's in the car. And he said, it's not in the car. So I said, where is it? I mean, you know so much, pal. And he said to me, you gave it away, didn't you? And I said, how do you know that? And he said, because God told me. And he reached in his pocket and he pulled out a check that he had written before he came to the service. And he opened it up and it was made out to our ministry. And it was exactly dollars and cents, ten times the amount of the check I'd just given away. Ten times the check. And he held it out like this. He said, here, take this. God told me to give this to you. And he's holding the top of it, and I reached out and I took the bottom, but he wouldn't let it go. <laughs> and I realized he wanted to say something. I also realized that God was about to, there was about to be an impartation, that he had the gift of giving. You know, giving is a gift. It's a gift in the Bible. And some of you don't feel spiritual about your gift, but I'm telling you, it's spiritual. It's a spiritual gift. 
and he's holding it out like this, and I've got the bottom, he's got the top, and I looked across the top of that check right in his eyes, and this was over 25 years ago, and he said, God's about to teach you about giving so you can teach the body of Christ. And let the check go. And this holy feeling came over me, and I thought to myself, this is God's money. Now, can I tell you something? Every penny we get is God's. And if we want to ever be blessed and be a channel of resource for the kingdom, we've got to have that in our, a sense in us of stewardship. And so Debbie and I were still driving that $750 car. We had plenty of money to go buy a car. We had a lot of money, almost a year's salary, year's expenses for the whole ministry. And I knew this is God. So I said, Lord, what do you want us to do? You know the first thing he told us to do was to buy a car for a single mom. And we didn't even have a nice car. And then he said, you see this guy over here lost his job? I said, yes. He said, pay his salary till he gets another job. We started giving thousands of dollars away. As a matter of fact, that year that we gave over 70% of our income away. We started giving thousands away. And I never preached on it back then. I never stood up and told these stories. I never said a word because God wouldn't release me to it that time. We, never, we didn't have a mailing list. We never asked for a penny. We never had a financial requirement to go to church. I can remember standing on the front row and people walking up to me and handing me a check and saying, look at me right now and say, God's teaching you about giving. And just turn and walk off. And it would be thousands and thousands of dollars. And we just gave and we gave. One time, after a few years... Uh, we, we had then some vehicles. We, we had a van that we traveled in. And the Lord said to me one day, I want you to sell your van. And I said, okay, how much do you want me to sell it for? He said, $12,000. This was on a Saturday. On Sunday, I'm in church worshiping God. And all of a sudden, there's a guy standing in front of me. And he says to me, hey, you want to sell your van? <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, I do. He said, 12000 I said, yeah. He writes me a check takes my keys. We had to get a, a ride home from church. <laughs> on Monday, we fly to Costa Rica. The missionary picks us up. You ever been in a missionary vehicle? We're bouncing around like this. There's a hole in the floor where the muffler is, and the exhaust is coming up through the floor. I said to the missionary, why don't you get your new van? He said, I'm about to. He said, last week, I was driving down the road, and God said, stop. I'm going to give you a van. And he took me over, and he pointed this van to me. He said, I'm going to give you this van right here. And I said to him, how much is it? Anyone want to guess? He said 12000 I said, turn around. Let's go get the van. Listen to me. This is fun. This is fun. God wants all of his kids to live like this. Then one day I was having my quiet time, and the Lord spoke to me and said, Would you give me everything? And this is several years after that first thing. By that time, I knew exactly what he was talking about. We've gotten out of debt. We had two cars. I knew he was talking about all the money in our personal checking, all the money in our personal saving, all the money in our ministry checking, all the money in our ministry savings, all of our retirement, both cars, and our house. And I said, yes, Lord, I'll give you everything. By the way, he's asked us that three times. This was the first. I said, yes, Lord, I'd love to give you everything. You gave me everything. So my wife and I sat down and figured out, prayed about where we were to give it. We gave our house to a pastor that had five kids. Didn't have a house. The next day I'm sitting there and I was adding it up in my mind. I mean, it was a lot of money. And I had this thought and the Lord said to me, what are you thinking? I said, nothing. Because <laughs> you know, if you don't tell him what you're thinking, he doesn't know. 
He said, no, what are you thinking? I said, well, I said, yeah, yeah I said, you know that old saying, you can't outgive God? He said, yeah, I've heard that. I said, well, I think I did. He said, really? He said, you think you outgave me? I said, well, I mean, Lord, you know, don't be embarrassed. I mean, you're, you know, I'm, I'm, you're a good God and all, but I mean, I, I said, this time, this time, I said, I think I've got you. He said, you think you've got me? And the phone rang. I picked up the phone and the guy said, Robert, God told me to help you with your transportation. Here's what I thought. I thought he's going to give us a car. And we need one because we just gave both our cars away. But I thought, even if he gives us a car, I still got you. I just gave away two cars. And at that time, we'd given nine cars away. And we gave away our house and all, all of our money. So I thank you for the car, but I still got you. I said, well, what did the Lord tell you to do? He said, he told me to buy you an airplane. And he said, I'm going to pay for the maintenance, the fuel, the hangar, the insurance. I'm going to pay all the expenses. And I've hired a pilot, and I'm going to pay his salary. Here's his name and number, and you just call him and tell him where you want to go and when you want to go. And the Lord said, got you. Now, now listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. This is not a message, give and you get a plane. Listen to me. I gave the plane away. Okay? I don't have a plane. I flew here today just like you fly, all right? Sat in a little seat like that, normally between two fat guys, okay? <laughs> I don't have a plane. This is not about that because the plane's not the best part of the testimony. Here's the best part. The next day, sitting in my chair, having my quiet time, two days after we'd given everything for our first time to ever do that. And I'm reading about Solomon, the most famous story about Solomon. You remember, God said to Solomon, ask anything you want. Can I ask you something? Can you imagine if God said that to you? We're talking about God. He said it to me three times. And this was the first. I thought, Lord, wonder what happened that day when you said to Solomon at night, ask anything. And I went back and read. Do you know what happened? That day Solomon was inaugurated the king of Israel. It was tradition for the king to sacrifice one bull. Do you know how many Solomon sacrificed? One thousand and the lord said to me i only say to extravagant givers ask anything you want i would never say it to a selfish person because i can't trust selfish people and i'm not even thinking we just gave everything away and all of a sudden the holy spirit said to me ask ask anything you want and you have to remember that i came from a very very bad lifestyle and that Debbie and I were married before I was saved and I was a very immoral person and I had believed a lie that I would lose my marriage and so I said Lord I want for Debbie and I to be passionately love all the days of our life I don't want to lose my marriage and last May we celebrated our 31st wedding anniversary that's better than an airplane better than a plane I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and just take a moment. And I want you to just ask, I want everyone at every campus, at every venue, to simply ask God a question in your heart, not out loud. Just ask God, God, what are you saying to me through this message? Just ask Him. What are you saying to me through this message? Some of you, God is talking about tithing to you. And you've struggled and struggled for years with it. Can I just say one thing to you? 
You will never, and you struggle because you're not, you can't afford it, you don't think. Please hear me. You will never be able to afford to tithe until you tithe. Because tithing is what breaks the curse. Some of you, God is speaking to you about extravagant giving. You've, you've been givers, but now all of a sudden in this economy, the devil says it's not a good time to give. Let me just say this. It's always a good time to obey God. Whatever God says, don't be afraid. Don't let fear dictate your giving. And some of you, God is speaking to you about giving the most extravagant gift you could ever give, and that is your life to God. I want to pray for you and then turn it back to Pastor Greg. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would cause the truths of this message to go deeply into our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be like you, to be generous givers. In Jesus' name, amen.